deepening in meditation. You might even say really deepening in the spiritual life is an art. And like every other art that we might develop in our lives, it is something that requires both discipline and it requires love. And those two in the spiritual life are really quite inseparable. The discipline is perhaps the more formal aspect of the meditation, learning the practice, learning the form, developing qualities of perseverance, of commitment, of steadiness, becoming familiar with the practice or technique as such. This is the the discipline aspect of meditation. But this aspect of meditation is really only meaningful in any way if it is equally balanced by the quality of love. Without that quality of love, of course we can become really master technicians of meditation. We can know the form very well, we can be very good at effort, we can be very good at technique, Um, we may even be quite familiar with striving and with forcing. It is the quality of love that gives meaning to the form. Without that quality of love, we may be masters of something which is quite empty for us. I feel often it happens in the West that we as Westerners find the discipline aspect easier than we do the aspect of love. We probably all have quite long histories of learning how to be good at things, learning how to succeed, learning how to be on top of things, um, learning how to achieve, etc. It is harder for us to approach the things that we do in our lives and perhaps this most significant thing that we do in our lives, our own inner journey, it is harder for us to approach this in the spirit of love. It's much easier for us to think of this as work. I personally would love to see the word work no longer associated with meditation. We are more skillful at thinking of getting through things or confronting things or getting to the bottom of things. It is sometimes much more challenging for us to really connect with what it means to bring a real quality of love to everything that we do in meditation, to how we are with our breath, to how we are with our bodies, to how we are with our failures to be with our breath. It's harder for us to bring a quality of love to the times when we feel disappointed in our expectations. 
the times when we feel that our discipline is not so strong. The quality of love in meditation is not self-love. It's not uh, idealistic love of images of who we should be. It's not a kind of romantic love. In a way, it is a devotional love that we develop in meditation. Not a devotion to someone as such, but perhaps a devotion and a love more of being clear, being conscious, a love of being awake, a love of being present, a love of being with all that which is, the simple and the complex. This quality of love in the spiritual life, in the life of meditation, we might speak of as reverence. Now, reverence is not always an easy word for us. We might associate it with all kinds of religious images. We might think of nuns and monks in uniforms on bended knees making offerings. For us, a place of reverence might seem to belong in a church or a monastery. And reverence does often have the association of worship, a worship of something loftier, which is outside and which is perhaps higher and above ourselves. And many of the images we have around this word are both romantic and idealistic. I think it's also true that many of these images that we have have to do with our past, with a religious history, which really doesn't have very much to do with our lives now. But just because we may have forsaken religious history, religious conditioning as being no longer meaningful to us, it is probably going too far to say that it is wise for us to forsake this quality of reverence or to dismiss its significance in our own path. How would our own path be different? How would our own journey be different if we were able to undertake it in this spirit in a way that was free from judgment and harshness, that was free of comparing and standards, How would our journey be different if we were able to approach this path in a way in which we simply felt that we were here just to honor, just to connect with what is in this moment, with nothing more than that? How would our path be different if we approached it with a heart of compassion present within ourselves? Compassion in each moment, compassion for others, compassion for our own being. It probably would be significantly different. That quality of love, that quality of reverence, is not something that is romantic. Instead, it is a quality that brings to our own path a certain lightness of being a spaciousness and an acceptance, an openness and also 
nailed that. It may seem through our experience in the past, it may seem that we can't actually afford to live in that kind of spirit in the world. That perhaps we can't even afford to cultivate that kind of spirit in our own journeys. We are taught and we learn that there is a certain wisdom in being skeptical in our lives in not believing things too easily, and not accepting things very easily. I think it's also true that our skepticism is something that very easily turns into cynicism. We're taught and we learn through our own experience that it's wise for us to doubt, to question everything. And there's no doubt that there is a wisdom in that. But it's also true that our doubt easily turns to suspiciousness, to mistrust. We learn, perhaps, that we can't really afford openness. That to be open means, perhaps, to be vulnerable. And to be vulnerable means to be easily hurt. And so we learn from others and we learn through our own experience that perhaps there's a greater wisdom instead of innocence, of learning how to protect and defend ourselves. I think it is true that many of our life experiences teach us the wisdom of armor, the wisdom of creating barriers, or perhaps the fear of being without them. And through that experience, it's very easy for our hearts to become somewhat hardened. Despite those experiences that we all have in our lives, there are many moments each one of us finds ourselves being deeply and profoundly touched by things that we see, things that we hear, things that we experience, people that we encounter, by very many simple things in our lives. What is it that we feel when we, when we walk outside and we're still and everything seems to shine sunset, a simple leaf in the sunlight? What is it that we feel when we encounter a someone, a person, who really has dedicated themselves so totally to giving to others, to serving others, to caring for others? What is it that we feel when someone extends towards us a truly selfless action? a truly selfless gesture of care and concern. Those moments that we encounter often rock and shake the cynicism and the suspiciousness that we feel within ourselves. Those moments are often incredibly powerful. They can bring to ourselves, to ourselves, quality of peace and stillness. Those moments that we encounter with something which is truly meaningful, truly profound, those moments of being deeply touched in our life, they are symbols for us. It's not in any way that they're magical moments. They don't necessarily have the power to alleviate all our ills and cares. 
But those moments truly are symbols. They are symbols of possibility. They are symbols of what is possible for us in our lives. They are symbols of something perhaps which is larger, which is greater, which is deeper than what our eyes or our ears or our thoughts may immediately tell us of so. And we respond to those moments. The response that we often feel is a response of reverence. Those moments remind us, most probably, that there is something sacred in life. This quality of love, the quality of reverence in spiritual life, it's more than an action. It's more than something we do. It's not even something so much that we can actually learn. It wouldn't be untrue to say that it is the heart of the spiritual life, that it is what every spiritual discipline attempts to foster. Uh, this quality of reverence, of love, is not so much a question of what we see or what we do. It is a question of how we see. And it's a question of how we do what we do. There is a curious paradox in the spiritual life of Shale. One side of this paradox is that at the heart of every great teaching is one very simple and yet very profound message. And it's a message certainly that is in and through all traditions, it's in and through all times, it is the heart of what every teacher delivers to us. And that message that we hear that is the heart of the spiritual life is that there is something sacred. It's very simple. That what our eyes see, what our ears hear, what our thoughts tell us, that this is not all. That a life of separation, that a world of separation is not what is true. That there is instead an infinite and abiding reality of the truth, which is really in and through all change, all time, that's really beyond all birth and death. And that this reality what is truth is really the essence too of our own being. The words that are used to describe this reality are many, whether it's truth or oneness or reality or God, whatever words are used. The part, very fundamental to this teaching, is that this reality is not the territory of any special group of people. It's not the territory of the saintly or the holy. And that this reality doesn't belong or cannot be found in any separate dimension or time, but that it is imminent. It is present in all things. That this reality is present in all times and everywhere and in all beings. And that it's not separate from anything. That there is nothing which is fundamentally disconnected from this reality. And that to understand 
this oneness of this reality, is to deeply understand the interconnectedness of all things, that there is nothing that there is dis- that is disconnected, and that in this interconnectedness we find what we might call the sacred. The spiritual path is directed towards understanding that reality. It's not, the spiritual path is not about endurance, it's not about suffering, it's not about becoming, it's not about goals. It's about understanding this reality, this truth, which is imminent, which is with us already. Understanding really how to learn to open our eyes to it. And the path is not just the discipline. The path to understanding is also the love, the quality of reverence with which we travel this path. Cultivating that quality of reverence, it doesn't require grand gestures. It doesn't require that we pack up all our belongings and deliver them to the nearest charity store. It doesn't require that we shave our heads or don a uniform. It doesn't require that we retreat into the nearest monastery. If this reality is imminent, it's not going to be found any more easily in a uniform or behind particular walls. It can only be found where we are. It's a poem I'd like to read to you. My daily affairs are quite ordinary, but I'm in total harmony with them. I don't hold on to anything, don't reject anything. Then nowhere is there an obstacle or a conflict. Who cares about wealth and honor? Even the poorest thing shines. My miraculous seeing in drawing water and in carrying wood. The other side of this spiritual paradox is what our experience and what our eyes tell us. And so often our experience and our eyes, the message that we receive through them, seems to contradict everything we hear from great spiritual teachings. We look at the world around us and we see a world of pain and suffering. We look at the world around us and often we look at the world within ourselves and we see a world of conflict and division. And we might doubt and often do doubt that there is anything sacred in all of this, that there is anything worth feeling reverence for, that there is any possibility of oneness amidst all this division. We look at around us and we see starvation and violence and how much separation seems to shadow everything in our world and doubt whether there is anything worth feeling reverence for. Often we've experienced a whole range of other feelings. We experience anger, we experience pain, we experience powerlessness before forces of greed and anger that seem so strong, often what we don't feel is reverence. 
And actually at times we may even feel a certain sense of contempt for a teaching that says that within this we find what is sacred. What is important for us, each one of us, to understand, I feel, is that the way that we see the world, the way that I see the world, the way that you personally see the world, informs your relationship to it, shapes and molds your relationship to it. What we see, what we believe in, what we believe to be true, shapes our responses, our actions, and our ethics. What we believe to be true shapes and molds the choices we make, the directions that we follow, what we seek for and what we turn away from, what we aspire to, what we deny. All of this is rooted within our own individual system of beliefs, of values. It can't be separated from that. The way that we see people, the way that we see ourselves, The way that we experience reality is shaped by what we honor and what we trust in, by what we believe to be true and what we believe to be false. If we believe on the basis of past, on the basis of the past, if we believe on the basis of superficial perceptions, on the basis of pain, on the basis of our thoughts, that there is nothing sacred or that truth and reality is not imminent, then our actions and our ethics, our way of seeing, will be shaped by that belief. We live, we grow up in a culture of separation. This is the culture that has nourished us, that has fed us. A culture that has fed us a diet of division. A culture in which we are taught and learned to believe that everything exists apart from everything else. That there is disconnection. That there is self and other. That there is I and you. That there is us and them. That there is inner and outer that this is what is true. This is the culture of separation that most of us have been raised in. A culture of separation has certain norms. A culture of separation believes that it is normal, that it is appropriate, that it is right to pursue gratification above all else that it is right to pursue the success of self above all else. And we all know the consequences of that culture, of that belief. The consequences are conflict, our division, our alienation. Something within us questions and rejects that culture. This is not a geographical culture. Something within us rejects 
asking questions, that culture of separation. There is something within us that yearns to find some sense of meaning, some quality of depth, some quality of something sacred, amidst all of this apparent division and separation that we live in. Something within us trusts that our own possibilities are actually much greater than just pleasure and gratification or the avoidance of pain. That something is what brings us here. That something is what leads us to cultivate and to connect with not only the discipline of spiritual practice, but also this quality of love and of reverence within it. That yearning is what leads us to look at actually what a life of reverence, what a life of love, because our spiritual life is not just what we do on a cushion. What a spiritual life of reverence actually means, what it means not just to practice meditation, but what it means actually to live with a meditative spirit and to question if this is really possible for us in the midst of a life of busyness, of doing, of interaction. There's a story of a sadhu in Rishikesh who many people go to visit is very well known in India. He has a little hut beside a waterfall on the river. And every day he goes out, he wakes up in the morning, he goes out and he stands and gazes at the waterfall each all day. And before the sun sets at night, before it gets dark, he simply says, how amazing, well done, how wonderful. Then he goes to bed. And the next morning he gets up and he does exactly the same thing. He says, amazing, well done. And people come from all over India, all over the world, to gaze with this sadhu, wondering, indeed, what it can be so possibly be so amazing about looking at a waterfall all day. It's enough. It's that quality of reverence, that simple quality of appreciation, of being touched by life, by the moment. We are not sadhus. We don't have our own private waterfalls. The best we can offer is a fish pond. But we do have the capacity to be awake. Each of us has the capacity to listen. Each one of us has the capacity to learn. And quite frankly, there is no saint in the world who was ever born with more than this. There is no one that we admire or try to emulate in the world who was ever born with more than the capacity to be awake, the capacity to listen, the capacity to understand. In this end tradition, there's a very well-known saying that says, to a sincere student, every day is a fortunate day. Now, this doesn't mean that if you practice Zen, you have a life filled with sunshine. What it points to, what it directs us towards, is the attitude, the spirit, with which we need to cultivate this path. The spirit which enables us to make this journey with ease and with lightness and with depth. It is a spirit of making no distinctions, 
of creating no differences and therefore creating no opponents. When we make no distinctions between what is holy and what is not, between what is spiritual and what is not, between what is worthy and what is not, when we no longer make those distinctions, we can say we live with a meditative spirit. When we go to wash our dishes with the same spirit in which we approach sitting on our cushion, that is a meditative spirit. When we listen to our own clamoring thoughts, with the same sensitivity and the compassion that we might listen to another, someone we care for in distress, or we might listen to a Dharma talk. That is a meditative spirit. It's a radical change in our attitude and our approach. It is so much easier in, in many ways for us to live in a world of images and conclusions and judgments that tell us what is good and what is bad, what is worthy and what is not, what is valuable and what is mundane. It's so much easier in so many ways to inhabit that world of superficiality and conclusions than to live in a way in which we can truly honor each moment as being worthy of great awareness. And to also to understand how that great awareness transforms the moment that we're in. In the Chinese tradition, it's said that to make a hair's breadth of difference is to set heaven and earth apart. It is easy for us to do that. How do we look upon the wandering mind? How do we feel about the distracted mind. How do we relate to scatteredness, to fragmentation? How easy it is for us to honor concentration, quietness, calmness. How difficult it is for us to honor and to open to confusion, to disharmony, to scatteredness. What we do here is to learn to step out of those habits of making differences. Learning how not to live in a culture of separation, but how to nurture a culture of oneness in which we make no divisions, in which we make no differences, in which we do not surrender to our conclusions. Living with that spirit of openness, of great openness, is living with reverence. There's nothing special, nothing specially more than that. Because the moment that we can truly open just to what is, that response is one of love. That response is one of sensitivity. Our challenge is to see the habits of the mind to make divisions, to see how the habits of living in images, not to suppress those in any way, but to learn the skills of patience, the skills of openness, the skills of compassion. These skills need to be our path. 
so that we can learn, so that we can open. Milarepa once said that a wandering thought is in itself the essence of wisdom. Sometimes it's helpful for us to bear that in mind the next time we pursue our wandering thoughts with the sledgehammers of our judgments. It's helpful for us to bear that in mind the next time we feel that we have to control scatteredness or distraction, that we have to get rid of this or rid of that. Sometimes it's helpful for us to remember that when we see ourselves falling into the patterns of of striving and struggling and of making opponents. Every time we resist something because we cannot welcome it, We create an opponent, the opponent then that often fails to overwhelm us. It's very important for us to learn in this path that there does not need to be any opponents. The process of creating opponents is one of habit. Like the only tool you possess is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And how often we approach our meditation like that. This should be here, that shouldn't. This kind of thought is okay, that one's not. This kind of feeling is all right, but this one doesn't fit into the grand plan of what is spiritual. Learning not to make those distinctions is to create no opponents. And as we find that we open, our capacity to welcome deepens. As our capacity to welcome deepens, we also find that there's very little that overwhelms us. Part of learning how to welcome is also being in touch with that kind of steadiness and balance inwardly that can embrace whatever arises, whatever comes to us, without being swamped or overpowered in any way. meditation, our concern is not really about becoming spiritual. Our concern is not really about reaching some kind of destination, you know, at the end of the first week or at the end of the second week or at the end of the month. Our concern really shouldn't be about having any kind of goals whatsoever. Our concern really needs to be how to be present how to live, every moment of our day here, every moment we're awake with a truly meditative spirit. And we find, when we can do that, how much we find ourselves startled to wakefulness by the smallest things. You know, you've probably been on retreats when you've walked around and you've seen some yogi entranced by a leaf on a tree, you know, seemingly hypnotized by the movement of a bug, you think, gee, it's a pretty loony bunch, you know, kind of crazy, you know, I mean, what's so interesting about that? And yet you find that when we're truly open, it takes so little to move us. It takes so very, very little to startle us into a true sense of wakefulness And how much in that just ordinary, very ordinary 
daily things. How much very ordinary daily life is suddenly weighted with a true sense of mystery, with a true sense of beauty. There's a different kind of ethics that comes out of that wakefulness. There's a different kind of relationship, a different way of being in the world that comes out of that sense of connectedness. It's a very natural way of being, of abiding and non-harming because it wouldn't occur to harm something which is only ourselves in a different form. And it's not only and not harming, it is also a seeking a way of being in which really contributes to the care and to the well-being of all things around us and all things within us. Not only in actions, but in a willingness to let go of our judgments, a willingness to let go of our standards, a willingness to let go of our expectations, a willingness to let go of our demands and our comparisons. That kind of willingness, that kind of letting go that comes with reverence, with love and the spiritual life, really brings a great sense of calmness and spaciousness. When we don't have to struggle with anything because we haven't labeled it or valued it as being unwelcome or as spiritual, unspiritual, it's a great sense of spaciousness within ourselves and we don't have to struggle. When we don't have to battle with any opponents, it's suddenly much more peaceful. It's a great sense of calm, a great sense of lightness of being in which there's a sense of deepening, a willingness to learn, a willingness to open, a willingness to acknowledge possibilities. And this is actually what reverence is. It's a willingness to acknowledge possibilities. So no matter how much our images arise, our judgments arise about ourselves or another person, we hold within us that flame of possibility, of questioning. And this may not be so. There may be more than this. There may be something to learn. Each day to a sincere student is a fortunate day. It's a wonderful way to approach our practice. It's a wonderful way to approach our time here. That not only does this day or this hour offer to us such opportunities to learn, to be touched, to deepen, but that we also offer to this day and to this hour, our own inner capacities for care, for sensitivity, for connectedness, how much we can be touched, can see more deeply, can listen well, can feel profoundly. To me, this quality of, of reverence, that kind of spirit, brings a real sense of immediacy to the spiritual path. The spiritual path is no longer about some long, arduous journey where you suffer now and are rewarded later. 
It's no longer about some long, heavy, uphill struggle towards something which shines in the distance. It's about how we are right now. About what this moment offers to us and about what we can offer to this moment. This is where the discipline and the love in meditation are joined. Being focused. But being focused in a way in in which we are truly treasuring and truly honoring each moment that we're experiencing. May all beings live with sensitivity. May all beings live with an open heart. May all beings live with reverence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.